22 through 24. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Ezekiel chapter 17. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar." And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, at this time, uh, we would ordinarily take up the offering, uh, but I remind you that we have our box um, at the back of, uh, on the back table that you can place your offering to the Lord, give your gifts um, in response to his grace um, after the service. And at this time, let's respond with the doxology, praising him. chapter 13, verses 10 through 31. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound 
for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless this um, preaching of your word, that what you have uh, for us to hear from the Gospel of Luke would be made clear and that, that, that this message would ring with your authority, that it would convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and above all, that we would be drawn to Jesus Christ, made more dependent on him, receive his grace. We pray this all in his name. Amen. We've been taking a break from the Gospel of Luke for a few weeks now, maybe two or three, and, and we've, we've gone into some texts that, uh, that allowed us to feel the weight of, of those celebrations of both you know, Christmas, the Lord's incarnation, and then to prepare us for the new year. But now we are back in the Gospel of Luke, and you're going to see us going through that regularly. Um, but, but where are we in the Gospel of Luke? I just wanted to take a quick moment to reorient us, to bring us back in. And you'll remember that for a while now, we have been on a journey with Jesus. Jesus, all the way back in chapter 9 of Luke, started off on this trek for Jerusalem. And from that moment, we, we, we keep getting these reminders in the Gospel of Luke that he's headed there. And the cross that awaits him in Jerusalem, the suffering and death, and then the glories to come, they hang over him like a shadow, drawing him closer and closer to the fulfillment of his mission. And so that's where Jesus is going. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to there to suffer and to die. But on the way, starting with verse 9, all the way to chapter 18, he's teaching us. He's teaching us what we need to know, the, the pieces we need to put in place so that when he does suffer and die, when he does uh, rise again from the dead and ascend to the Father, we'll know how to live in light of his work, in light of his mission. And so Jesus' teaching has become more and more urgent. It's, it's like a drumbeat that's intensifying and intensifying, and, and he's, he's bringing the heat on the religious leaders. But the crowds who are willing to listen, he's urging them, remember, to repent, to turn to him, and to take their place in his great kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? 
Because that's what we're going to hear a lot about today. In fact, the kingdom of God is the, is the thread that weaves its way through our passage. So what is that kingdom? We've talked about this before. We've certainly heard about it in Luke. But I remind you, the kingdom of God is that restorative rule and reign of God. It is God's great mission to reclaim a world that had turned away from him. And that mission begins in the hearts of sinners, our inner being, but but it reaches far beyond that. In fact, we believe that the kingdom of God will one day reach to all places in its great and and extensive reach. And so that's what the kingdom of God is. It's God's kingly rule and reign. His restorative plan is already at work. And on one day will be brought to its great completion. And at the heart of all that is this kingdom ambassador, Jesus Christ. Well, we see this kingdom in clearer focus and greater urgency in our passage. And it starts, this picture of the kingdom starts with a crippled woman. What a place to start. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue one Sabbath when suddenly a woman shuffles into the back of the room. And right away, Jesus, who's who's at the front of the room, speaking to the people at, at a place of some sort of prominence, He notices her entering the room, and he notices an obvious deformity, physical deformity. She can't straighten her back. Her spine is so bent that she's stuck in a constant bowing position. She is trapped in this posture of forced humility, and her gaze is constantly locked on the ground in front of her. She is that's, that's how intensely she's hunched over. Um, the, 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 the word in our text is that she is stooped over double. And she shuffles from place to place and you can imagine it's, it's something like a twisted hop. This is, this is this life that this woman has lived for 18 long years. Can, can you imagine that? 18 years she's born this deformity. Modern science has a name for her condition, spondylitis deformans. But Luke points beyond that, that medical diagnosis. Dr. Luke points to something deeper. He points to a cosmic disorder that is shaping all this. Because this woman, he says, is, is under the bondage of Satan's power. She is like a walking visual reminder that this world is cursed and twisted under the cruel grip of a cruel master, Satan himself. And the fallen world, it's, it's twisted, and this woman is an obvious display of this fact. But her problem goes even deeper than that. Because Luke says that this outward posture, this this being stooped over double, has become a picture of her inward heart. Luke, Luke puts it this way. She has a weak spirit. She shuffles into the synagogue dejected, discouraged, 
depressed. And for 18 long years, she's, she's lived under that weight. But today is different. Because on this day, she meets a compassionate Savior. An ambassador of God's kingdom who brings gracious relief. She meets the king of the kingdom himself, Jesus Christ. And notice what Jesus does. He, he, he sees this woman. He notices her in a way that no one else has noticed her. For, for years, she's received looks only of pity. If she was noticed, it, it was looks of, of pity or disgust. But this Savior sees her in a way that no one else can. He sees her condition. He focuses in on her. And he sees more than that. He knows her weakness. He knows the burden that she bears, not only physically, but spiritually. He sees her with all of her shame, with all of her weakness. And then he speaks to her. This Jesus, he singles her out. For, for years, you can imagine this woman heard whispers of people you know, saying, oh, there's that, that, that crippled woman. But now this Savior speaks directly to her. He calls her forward into his very presence. And not only that, he touches her. He reaches out. He tells her first to be healed, but then... He reaches out, touches her, and healing surges through her body. Her spine, that twisted, crooked spine, straightens, and her downcast face now rises as she stands in, 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 new, in newness to look up to the loving face of this Jesus, this ambassador of the kingdom. And those muscles that for 18 years atrophied, Wasted away with weakness, they now react with quick, renewed strength. And so Jesus sees her. He speaks to her. He heals her. But notice this. He frees her. That's the key point here. This Jesus says, woman, you are freed from your disability. And what we have here is a demonstration of the kingdom an incredible power. For the first time, or, or, or rather the first time that Jesus appeared in a synagogue in, in the Gospel of Luke, do you remember when that might have been? That's, that's a trivia question. But I'll tell you, it was in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke. And way back in chapter 4, Luke recited these key words uh, from Isaiah this is what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So you see, at the very, the very first instance of, Luke, of Jesus appearing in in a synagogue and preaching in Luke, he proclaims those words. Well, now we have the bookends to that because now those words of, of setting free the oppressed, they're actually being fulfilled. The kingdom is coming with its power through this healing 
This healing, this freeing of this woman is like an assault on Satan. And what's happening is Satan is losing his grip over um, another outpost of his empire. That's what's happening here. As Jesus frees this woman, heals her. And she's not only uh, freed from, from Satan's grip, she's brought into a new kingdom. The kingdom of God. And now she becomes an outpost of his rule and reign. What, is, what do we see her doing? Breaking out in joyful praise. Well, don't miss the good news in this passage for you this morning. Because this same kingdom power is present in this room. It is present by God's spirit. This gracious and powerful rule of reign comes to you this morning through the same ambassador through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus sees you. He sees you in a way that no one else can. You know, maybe this morning you come here and you come with your shame. You wish you were at the back of the room where no one could notice you. Or maybe you come and you feel completely unnoticed and you wish someone would look and just see you. Someone would see what's beneath the surface. Someone would see how you know, the smiles and the fake nods and laughter are, are, are just a facade. And what's beneath is something twisted and dejected. Jesus sees that. He sees all of it. And this same Savior who sees your shame, who sees a life discouraged and suffering and frustrated with sin, he comes to you with the healing power of his kingdom. He makes straight what was crooked. And he does that within you. And also gives you the promise that if, if you bear the weight of, of um, you know, the physical sufferings of this life, that one day his kingdom will relieve even that. And so Jesus comes with that healing and freeing power comes with his kingdom. Have you become an outpost of God's gracious and powerful kingdom? Because this morning, this, this picture of kingdom power invites you to do just that. Luke doesn't come out and say it, but everything in this text is straining for it. It begins with coming to Jesus for the freedom that he gives from sin. Well, this is an amazing picture of kingdom power but not everyone is excited about it. Surprise, surprise, the religious leaders of the day are not happy at all with what they've just seen. And in fact, one leader in particular, the synagogue president, this man who is supposed to be a shepherd of Israel, he is fuming with anger. He doesn't rejoice with this woman. He doesn't even speak directly to Jesus. Instead, he fires off a few passive-aggressive remarks to the crowd. What does he say? There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. We've seen this happen before in Luke, and now it's repeating itself. So we don't need to get into you know, an in-depth study like we did before of, of what the Sabbath means. But, but just recognize this. The religious leaders are twisting the, the Lord's day. They're twisting the Sabbath 
to proportions that it was never meant to be twisted. <coughs> this man is saying that the law of God, you know, Deuteronomy 5, start there, the law of God says that the Sabbath is a day to rest from working. Healing is a work. Therefore, Jesus, you chose the wrong day to heal this woman. And so that logic, with that logic, this man has concluded that Jesus has violated God's law and that instead he, he should have asked this woman to take a rain check, to come back the next day and receive healing. You see how completely these leaders are missing the point? The leaders who are supposed to know God's power better than anyone else, it's going right over their head and they're taking their man-made customs, their traditions, and they are burdening people once again with God's law. They are blind to the power of the kingdom that is right in front of them. And instead, what is this leader saying to this woman? He's saying, in effect, you should have just sat under the bondage of Satan for another day. You should have just borne that for another day. They fancy themselves as lovers of God's law, but these leaders are massively breaking God's law when it comes to showering their neighbor with loving compassion. And, and he's about to get it from Jesus. In fact, Jesus brings down the hammer right away. Look at what the Lord of the Sabbath says to these leaders who are blind to the kingdom's power in front of them. You hypocrites. You come up with all kinds of exceptions for your cattle to drink food on the Sabbath. Now, if you were to go into rabbinical writings, you would see a, 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 a huge list of exceptions on the Sabbath day for you know, uh, all, the, you know, all of the flock and cattle of Israel to get water so that they can survive. They... They'd come up with all kinds of ways to relieve their cattle. And yet, when it came to a daughter of Abraham, one who was inheriting the very promises that God had given for, from ages to his people, when it comes to her, she's told there are no exceptions. Wait another day to experience freedom from the bondage, from Satan's power. In fact, here's what the religious leaders were missing on the Sabbath. This day where Jesus healed, it was the most fitting day of all for God to do the work of restoring broken people. For six days, people labored under that, that heavy weight of toil. But then on the seventh day, God's mercy brings perfect rest. It straightens what was crooked. And so Jesus says, it was necessary for me to do this here and on this day. This is the most fitting day in which I could have brought this gracious kingdom to bear on this woman. But the leaders don't get it, and we need to hear the warning that's implicit in this passage. Especially Brad, Andrew, and myself need to feel the weight of this. Because if these shepherds of Israel missed the kingdom of God when it was right in front of them, so can we. We need to be warned of all the ways that, that we can come up with, with excuses 
to not show compassion to God's people. And those who have strayed from God's fold, to not show them compassion. We need to be warned of all the ways that we can be preaching a kingdom that strays from the heart of the law, that is not uh, weighted by the law of love, and that is devoid of compassion. And so all of us need to ask, especially your leaders, but all of us need to ask, what excuses do we come up with to avoid helping people in serious need? We say, it's, it's not the right time. I'll, I'll help them another day. Maybe we even use, with, within our Reformed tradition, perhaps sometimes we use the Lord's Day, Sunday, as an excuse to not help those in need. It's not an option. We can say, I'm, I'm not the one to help. Someone else is better prepared for this. We need to feel the weight of when God has put an opportunity right in front of us Maybe we find you know, that subtle, subtle uh, lie in our hearts. They don't deserve it. They're in this mess because of their own sinful choices. We need to move towards people with compassion, especially on the Lord's day. And you'll notice that the scene ends with Jesus bringing this rebuke to the shepherds. And then the people divide. The, the, um, the, the false shepherds of Israel slink away in shame, but the people of God, they rejoice. We need to be found among those people who are rejoicing when God's kingdom goes forth in power. The crowd has just seen kingdom power like on full visual display. They've just seen kingdom power opposed by the religious authorities. And with that display of, of the kingdom still gripping the crowd, still thick in the air, Jesus closes this scene with two parables about the kingdom of God. He takes things a step further. He says, you've just seen the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare? How would you answer that question? How would the people of God in Jesus' day answer that question? What were people expecting? kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's like a lightning bolt that comes in and, 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 and devastates God's enemy and takes out all oppression at once. The kingdom of God is like a mighty cedar tree, like that one we heard referenced in, in Ezekiel 17. That's what people were expecting. And that's why what Jesus says is so shocking. The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. You know how tiny that is? Kids, here's how tiny a mustard seed is. It's so tiny you look at it and and you can barely see it. It's itty bitty. You know, maybe kind of like the seeds, like maybe maybe as part of a science project, you planted some in the ground and and, and waited to see it grow. Think of the smallest seed you, you, you planted as part of that project. That's what this is like. The kingdom of God is also, Jesus says, like a tiny bit of leaven. Now, what is leaven? Well, it's kind of like modern-day yeast, a, a, a little, little substance that you can you know, mix in with flour and leave it to itself, and, and that's how you get bread. But notice this. What's the point? Why is Jesus using these small, tiny, itty-bitty illustrations 
to talk about a kingdom that comes in power. And here's the point. The greatness of the kingdom comes from small beginnings. It starts off in ways that seem completely insignificant, but it ends in ways that reach the whole world with transformative power greater than we could have ever imagined. That's how the kingdom grows. So what happens when the gardener plants that itty-bitty mustard seed in the ground? It grows. Slowly but surely, it, it is filled with, with, with growing power, and it grows so big, in fact, it reaches far beyond the standard mustard seed. Don't miss the supernatural outcome of this passage. You start with a mustard seed, what do you end up with? A giant sequoia, like in the, you know, the redwood, redwood forest. Huge, massive tree with branches that are so big that all the birds of the world can come and flock to it and find a home there. That's shocking. You know, people in Jesus' day would have gasped. What, what, what's he saying? And don't miss this. Those, uh, the birds that flock to those branches, anyone in Jesus' day would have noticed that in, throughout the Old Testament, those birds are a picture of the Gentiles from all the nations. And so what are we having here? We're having all the peoples of the nations, those who are far off, coming and finding in God's kingdom a shelter. Wow. Now talk, about, talk about going from, from the smallest possible beginning to the most massive and transformative outcome. That's what the kingdom's like. One more. Let's look at the second parable. What happens to that little tablespoon of yeast, which you know Luke saw his mom uh, pour into her favorite bread recipe and, and mix up? Well, you know, you look at it when it's in and say, "Huh, nothing really happened." You mixed it in, and then you you know you put some um, saran wrap over it and put it under a you know in the corner of the kitchen with some light on it. And what happens? It grows. And it grows. And you, you, don't see, you don't see what's happening, but if you were to put a microscope you know, on top of that substance, what you'd see is it is taking over the flower. It is possessing it, transforming it, so much so that it rises and rises and rises until you've got enough bread, enough dough to bake and feed 150 people. That's what you, that's what you end up with at the end of this. And so once again... God's kingdom, starting off with these microscopic beginnings, but ending up with a transformative power that blesses tons of people. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We don't have to look far to see this. Just look at the woman that was just healed. Exhibit A of kingdom growth. Who is she? We don't know her name. Just, just some woman who was healed in a corner of of some you know, forgotten corner of, of a Roman province. And what happens as Jesus starts to heal people like her, insignificant people like her? The kingdom grows, expands. It reaches the far ends of the, the world. It turns the world upside down with the resurrection kingdom power of Jesus Christ. And what an encur encouragement to us as a church plant. So often we feel 
you know, even on days like this, you know, when, when, when most of our folks are traveling. Oh, it would just be great to have big crowds. It would be great to have a magnificent building where with established ministries and this incredible endowment so we, won't, we don't have to worry about giving. That would be great. And we're tempted to think that's where, that's where the kingdom starts. But that's not true. Because the kingdom starts with small Zoom calls with Muslim neighbors. The kingdom starts with sharing the gospel with our, with our neighbors. It starts with a small group of, of, of believers gathering. And slowly but surely, God grows his work. He brings, through simple repentance and faith, community-changing outcomes. He brings the nations to shelter in, God, in Christ's kingdom. He works massive repentance. And that's the hope that we have this morning. That's the encouragement I want to leave you with. That the same kingdom power that we saw illustrated in that woman is the same kingdom power present with you today. And that kingdom power grows. It grows. It starts from a transformed heart. But it, but it takes over everything. Put your confidence in that kingdom, and especially the king who is at work, even now, growing it this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a kingdom that will not be shaken, that prevails against uh, the darkness that, that, that tries to offset it, and Lord, a kingdom that is in our midst and a kingdom that is growing. Lord, we pray that First Street would be part of this, that you would use us mightily, and that we would see um, us move from humble beginnings to incredible uh, transformative power. And we pray that this would even be done through our Quran Bible discussion, through our ESL ministry. We pray this all in Christ's name. Why now invite forward Mr. Jerry Alexander.